When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, I'm joined today by The Paddock and the Pavilion's cricketing expert, former England international Roland Butcher, to discuss the T20 World Cup, which finished in Dubai last Sunday. Welcome back, Roland. Thank you, Stephen. Great pleasure. Well, I've squeezed you in in between part two with Devon Malcolm because he, he, he talked so much, but no, he, he talked with uh, great passion uh, in last week's podcast. So I've squeezed you in for, um, I've got Devon back on the podcast on Sunday. So, but uh, we're going to speak in detail about the uh, tournament, but uh, what were your initial thoughts on the competition? Um, that we can then expand um, about various teams and areas about the, the competition. And I've also got a few listeners' questions along the way as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I thought it was a very well-run, well-organised um, tournament. Um, I think generally with the amount of cricket being played, I think the pitches were, you know, were pretty good. The support was good. And um, I think overall, I think it was a very satisfying uh, World Cup, especially this time of the year where there's not a lot of cricket happening. and I think most cricket lovers around the world would have been glued to most of the matches, if not all of the matches. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I'll give you a nice easy one to start with, but why do you think the Australians uh, won the T20 World Cup? They certainly weren't expected to at the beginning. Um, it's not an easy answer, but what I would say is that one thing that worked for the Australians is that right from the outset, they were not a fancy team. So they were able to operate pretty much under the radar because very few people um, felt that they had a chance. Um, they were always my dark horse as a side because, you know, I realised that, you know, they had some very good players to come back into the team. You know that the team that came to the Caribbean was not their strongest side. They were missing a, a lot of players. But when those players actually came back to the team, you know, we all knew that they would be a powerful outfit. I, I don't think a lot of people felt that perhaps they were the team um, to watch. But I always had a sneaky feeling that, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, they would be the ones to put their hands up. But I think operating under the radar with no one fancied them, they were able to move along, you know, quite smoothly until they got to the business end of the tournament. Yes, because when they came to the Caribbean, I looked up, they lost 4-1 and only five of the players that played in the final uh, played against the West Indies, although significantly Mitch Marsh, who, who played that match-winning innings in the final, he did their bat at number three in the West Indies and did well against the West Indies. Well, he did. I mean, Mitch Marsh was, Mitch Marsh was someone that I identified as a, a future, I mean, I say future, he's played for Australia before, but not with a great degree of success. Um, after seeing him here, I was convinced that in the future, he would be a very good T20 player. Um, for Australia. You know, I have some friends in Australia who I communicate with. 
and spoke to them about this at length. So it was no surprise to me, really, that he was able to stand up in this tournament. And you could see the faith that Australia had in him, even though someone with not a great international record, he was still determined to send him in at number three. And um, that proved a bit of a masterstroke as well. And looking at the actual final against the against New Zealand, did New Zealand simply not get enough runs? In terms of the final, I, I would say New Zealand played a very good game. Um, the, f- the first thing to go against them was obviously they lost the toss. Uh, it was always going to be a lot harder batting uh, first. But, I mean, the total they put on the board was a very good total. I mean, as you know, it's probably the biggest total that a team had to chase um, in World Cup finals. So, from that point of view, you know, they had a very good total on the board. I think what let them down somewhat is that um, some key bowlers that they're expected to really to put their hand up and bowl well, particularly someone like Ishori, um, who, you know, up till the final, you know, had done an excellent job bowling his leg breaks. He just fell apart in the final. Maybe the pressure was too much for him. And really, you know, his overs, uh, which should have been really overs, um, that New Zealand could have banked on. In the end, became um, a bit of a luxury. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think the total was a good one. Um, you've got to give Australia credit for the way they chased it down. But, you know, at the start of the day, um, New Zealand would have taken the total that they got. Were they a bit slow in the first 10 overs? They only scored 57 in the first 10. Well, I watched the game and people would say, yes, they're a bit slow, but... You know, you have to give credit to the way Australia ball. Australia ball really well, put them under pressure. I think New Zealand are mindful of the fact that it doesn't make sense losing three wickets at the power play. And then you're behind the eight ball for the rest of the game. So there has to be a bit of um, caution at the start of the end. It's, you know, you don't have um, big power hitters, so to speak. I mean, Gaptil is a, is a very strong player. Um, so is Mitchell, who had a very good tournament as well. But, I mean, they're not, they're no, they're not Jason Roy. Or somebody like that. So, you know, they also had to be steady. Australia ball well at them. There's no question about that. Um, kept it quiet. But, you know, New Zealand's strategy worked out well because, you know, in the middle part of the innings, they were able to pick up and get the total that they needed. They must have missed uh, Devon Conway, though. He injured himself. Yeah, huge loss. Um, you know, Conway is an excellent uh, player for them and a player who just ran into form as well. So, you know, he would have been vital, um, certainly, um, in those late overs uh, for New Zealand. His loss, I think, really hampered the team somewhat. But I think New Zealand are sort of team that, you know, even when they lose their star players, you know, they still believe that they can give, give a good account of themselves. And they did. Um, you know, all credit to New Zealand. Nobody fancied them at the start of this tournament. And they got to the final. And really, with a little bit of luck, you know, they could have won it as well. Well, I've got a couple of questions now about the, the final, actually. And uh, basically the same question from two different people. One's from a friend of mine, Lena Aziz, um, from Islamabad, Asia's first woman cricket commentator. And another one is from a friend, um, Andy Bays, from, from March in Cambridgeshire. And do you think the World Cup should be played in the Emirates, where the toss has made such a massive impact? Listen, I, I have no difficulty um, with the World Cup being played in the Emirates. I mean, the Emirates have got some fantastic cricket stadiums. You know, they're not basketball stadiums or baseball stadiums, they're cricket stadiums. So, 
you know, cricket should and can be played there. And, you know, they've shown really that they can put on, you know, a world event and do it very, very well. Yes, the toss sometimes can be uh, a bit of a problem, but, you know, professional sport, you must you must be able to adapt um, to those situations. You know, you, you play in England, sometimes the toss is very, very important. Um, you know, whether it's a test match or any other cricket, sometimes the toss is important, whether you bat or ball. So I have no difficulty whatsoever with cricket being played in the Emirates. But could they have played um, the final earlier in the day, uh, which would negate then the, uh, uh, the advantage probably of the toss? That was a possibility, but I would imagine that uh, they didn't do that for, ICC didn't do that for certain reasons. I would imagine um, broadcast requirements and, you know, trying to get the various people around the world who would be um, not asleep, et cetera, et cetera. So I think all of those things would have come into it. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think it took away from the spectacle that it was. I thought it was an excellent um, game of cricket between two very good sides, um, you know, two, two, two teams that wanted to win for the first time, two teams that ran into form at the right time. And it was just unfortunate that one had to lose. And on this occasion, it was New Zealand again. Well, just going back, most people thought that England and Pakistan would make the final. To start with England, were they seriously affected by injuries to Tymel Mills and uh, Jason Roy? Yeah, most definitely. You know, you, you've got two key players, one at the top of the order and one bowling at the death. And I think those two injuries came at the wrong time for, in, for England, really, because there was no recovery after that. It just meant that they had to change the team up somewhat. Um, you know, right at the top of the order is always someone who gets them off to a very, very good start, very positive player. You know, to lose that impact... Um, you know, Johnny Bester is also a very good player, but you're now asking him to come in at the last minute and perform the role that Jason Murray performed, um, which was going to be difficult for him. I think both England and Pakistan played very, very good cricket uh, right from the off. And I always felt that at some point, you know, in the campaign, you know, you're going you're gonna to come unstuck. You're going to lose a game. And really, for those two teams, it, it came at the wrong time, really, uh, semi-final. There were two teams that I backed to get to the semi-final. Um, I felt they would have got further. But as it turned out, that's where it finished for them. And with England, um, do you think that Moen Ali should have bowled in the semi-final? This is a question from John Gilding from Northampton. because He didn't bowl a ball. Yeah, that's a very good question. And you know, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. If England had won... I don't think that discussion uh, would have come about. Nobody would have asked that question. But it, it does beg the question as to, you know, why he was not even given an over. Um, you know, he is considered, you know, one of their better bowlers, somebody that you can look forward to bowling his four overs. And the fact that he didn't bowl at all, uh, I think would have surprised, you know, a lot of people. But I'm sure, you know, the captain and the backroom staff would have, had some strategy in place as to why um, he didn't bowl. Obviously, he didn't work on this occasion. And uh, maybe that can go forward in the future. You know, they might have second thoughts about something like that again. And as you say, Pakistan were a team you fancied in a previous podcast. Uh, 
do you think if Hassan Ali had taken that catch, they would have beaten Australia? Of course. You know, I think I think Australia really, at that point in time, that catch made all the difference because then the momentum shifted immediately after that. So, you know, drop catches are very, very important and can harm a team. And unfortunately for Hassan Ali, it harmed the team in this very, very important semi-final. And I will go back a few months ago uh, when they were in the Caribbean, when West Indies won that first test match by one wicket. Hassan Ali again dropped a similar catch, a deep square leg um, of Kimar Hroch, um, a very, very easy catch. And West Indies eventually won him by one wicket, Roach coming not out. So, you know, he's had two bad catches which has hurt the team uh, on both occasions. But on a positive note, the Pakistan side, led by Babar Azam, Mohammed Rizwan, Shaheen Shah Afridi, they were, were, you know, a very exciting side to watch. Yeah, very exciting. They're some very good cricket. Um, you know, we spoke earlier, um, some months ago, I told you after the West Indies tour here, that I thought Pakistan was a very good young side. And, you know, the only thing they had to really look after was the fact that with Pakistan cricket, sometimes, they, you know, they, they collapse. Uh, but I felt that they had the makings of a very good young side and very well led by uh, a master batsman, Baba Azam. And as it proved again in this tournament, Azam showed his real class as a player and as a captain and with Rizran as his partner and the bowling strength. You know, I really thought Pakistan um, had a very good chance, perhaps would not be fancied by a lot of teams. But based on what I saw here in the Caribbean, I saw a team that was going in the right direction. Well, let's move on to the West Indies. And you did, uh, on our previous podcast, fear for them in the competition. So did they pick, as you say, the wrong squad for the, for the competition? As I noted before, um, Things started very badly for the West Indies um, in terms of the selection, which caused a, a furore here in the Caribbean. You know, every Tom, Dick and Harry was complaining about the team selected. Uh, they thought certain players really should not be part of the team. Um, the, like myself, they thought it was an aging team with an over-reliance on um, hitting sixes, um, power-hitting, and really, before they started to go to the Emirates, you know, they were under pressure. Selectors were under pressure. Captain, everybody was under pressure in terms of that selection. I think having arrived in the Emirates, um, they got off to a bad start, losing those two warm-up matches and losing them quite easily. You know, that's not the sort of form you want going into um, a major tournament. And then after those two losses came that horrendous day against England uh, where they were bowled up for 55. And from there on, really, there were a calamity of mistakes being made. You then had a situation where um, the left-arm spinner, Fabian Allen, was ruled out through injury. Um, they replaced him with um, Akil Hussain, who was on one of the reserves. Hussain came in and then went straight into the side Front of here in Walsh, which could not have done his confidence any good whatsoever. I think that would have started really the disharmony uh, within the team because Walsh was overlooked for somebody 
who wasn't deemed good enough to get into the original 15. Then to compound that, um, you get Robin McCoy after one game. Um, he then went out of the tournament. He was replaced by Jason Holder, another reserve, who again came straight into the team and leapfrogged or Shane Thomas, who had been picked in the original um, 15. So I'm sure there would have been another disgruntled player. So I think those sort of mistakes are difficult uh, to recover from. And then obviously the form on the pitch after that, particularly from those senior players that came under so much criticism um, in the Caribbean, from prime ministers, etc., etc., didn't perform. And West Indies' performance really went from bad to worse. Yeah, Chris Gale only scored 45 runs in the competition. Have have the West Indies fallen behind in uh, the involvement of T20 cricket? Well, what we saw, you must say, yes, because I was never one for the, the idea of T20 cricket just being um, trying to hit sixes because, for me, you know, the best players of T20 cricket are people who can bat and play normal cricket shots and not necessarily um, try to clear the boundary. Um, West Indies' approach, uh, certainly for a while, has been one of looking to muscle the game, something that I disagree with because you are hoping that everything goes well every game. That may be suitable for some games, but if that's going to be your strategy every single game, I think that you know there's too much risk involved and you're going to come unstuck. So that strategy for me was never, ever going to work. And then when you also try to implement that strategy with aging players who are perhaps past their best, um, that's even more of a problem. And of course, you know, the whole fitness thing comes into it because T20 cricket at international level is a, a game for fit men. And West Indies were found wanting in that department um, in terms of their fitness when they had to give certain players exceptions for selection into the team, um, which certainly handicapped um, the team in the tournament and really caused a lot of problems here in the Caribbean for cricket lovers who you know West Indians love the game of cricket, but a lot of people hurt and were hurting right throughout this tournament as they watched West Indies go from one um, problem to another. Well, thank you for your frank views there and, and uh, opinions on the state of West Indies cricket. Uh, uh, many people's favourites were, of course, India. What happened to them in, in the competition? Well, India were also one of my favourites. Um, you, know, you know, the four teams I thought would get to the final would have been England, Pakistan, Australia, and of course, India. Uh, so it was a huge shock that India didn't make it. But as the tournament progressed, it was becoming very clear that they wouldn't. And I think the province for India was obviously like West Indies, the start. They got off to a very bad start. You know, in a five-game tournament before you get to the semifinals, if you lose the first two games, really, you're hoping that everything else falls in place for you to qualify when only two teams will qualify. So having lost those first two games, they were under tremendous pressure. And um, because of that, you know, they really didn't have enough time to catch up. I think the other thing perhaps that has worked against the Indian team is that India has been very, very busy as a team in world cricket for the last few years. And I believe the players, there's a degree of tiredness um, in these players. It may even be mental tiredness, um, may not be so much physical tiredness, tiredness, but 
there's mental tiredness in these players because they've played a lot of cricket all around the world. They just had an IPL, um, you know, and they're always playing uh, India. Everybody wants to play against them. It worked against them in this tournament, but don't take away um, the quality of the other teams that got through instead of India. Um, they played very well, but India certainly was and was most people's favourite going into the tournament. Yeah, I think they did cite some like bubble fatigue because they were they were in England for a long time as well with the World Test Championship and the England Tour, and I'm sure India, with the quality of players they've got, will be back. But any thoughts on other teams like Sri Lanka, South Africa, who both sh- showed promise? Yeah, they both. I thought South Africa had a very good campaign. You know, if you lose one game and go to the tournament, you, you've you've done well and. Perhaps that's the, something that I, w- I would like to see ICC change. Maybe it, it was only for this tournament, but I, I don't like the idea of only two teams qualifying because just like what happened to South Africa could easily happen to another team in the past. And if you lose one game in the tournament, really, you should not go out. Uh, that, that is most unfair. But you know, I think South Africa don't have anything to be concerned about. You know, They, they did well. They, they lost just one game got knocked out because of that. So I think looking back, they can say to themselves, look, you know, our performances were not that bad. We're going in the right direction. And, um, you know, and they can look forward to the future. Um, in terms of Sri Lanka, again, obviously didn't start well, but you can see the signs of some very good players um, that they've got in, in the team. So I think all in all, you know, I, I really enjoyed this World Cup. It's perhaps the... First T20 World Cup that I have watched so much cricket because, as you know, I'm not, I don't watch a lot of domestic T20 cricket, but I always felt that this World Cup had enough quality players, quality batsmen and bowlers in it um, to, you know, to make it a real spectacle. Not necessarily big hitters, but guys who were very good at their craft. And it turned out to be that way that the, the players who really entertained me most were those sort of players, the Barbara Zams, the Ken Williamsons, et cetera, et cetera. And what did you think to the associate nations playing in the competition? Great for the associates. Uh, obviously, in Namibia, um, I think they can go home with their heads held high. I thought they could give a pretty good account of themselves. Um, the, so they should look forward to the future with optimism. Uh, I guess Scotland was perhaps a little bit uh, disappointing. Um, they would have perhaps hope that they could have performed a lot better. But, yeah, the associates, I thought, um, you know, acquitted themselves, you know, pretty well. Well, thank you for uh, talking about 2021. I just wanted to briefly talk about the T20 World Cup, which moves to Australia in 2022. The action starts in October with the final under lights at the MCG. There'll be certainly very different conditions. Uh, Thinking ahead about England and the West Indies, do you still think Owen Morgan will be captain of England? Yeah, I think there's a very good chance. I mean, listen, they lost in a semi-final. They didn't get knocked out in the first phase. So, you know, why should there be a clamour um, to get rid of Morgan? I think the only reason um, you should get rid of Morgan is if you feel that he's no longer a good enough batsman. But if you feel that he's still capable of doing the job as a batsman, I, I have no hesitation in having him as captain for the next World Cup. You know, it's only a year away, so you haven't got that long to, to get a team gelling together. 
by then, England would have some key players uh, back and available, which would make them an even stronger proposition. So why would you want to change up um, the captaincy and the thinking of the team when you've got the nucleus there, which is a pretty good one, and you just need to add those um, couple of players back into the team to make it an even stronger one? Um, you know, in Australia, even without Australia winning this last World Cup, I would have had Australia as favourites for the next World Cup. I would put them even more favourites now um, on their home side. Um, really, they would be the team to beat um, in Australia on their home side, which they know very well. I think the confidence they would have got from winning this World Cup also will um, certainly help them in this next campaign next year. And they will be the team to beat, for sure. And what about the West Indies? What do they need to do ahead of the next competition? Well, West Indies are in a completely different position to the likes of England. Um, West Indies have got to tear down and build again. There's no question about that. That last campaign in, in the Emirates, really, you saw those older players um, you know, who were so heavily criticised not performing. And really, um, there cannot be any room in the future West Indies uh, World Cup squad uh, for those players. So they've got a huge task ahead of them between now and next year in building a new team, but not just building a new team, but building a new team that can be competitive in a world event against some very good teams where that their teams are not going to change a great deal. So really they've got the hardest job of all um, coming into next year's tournament to provide um, a team that the West Indies can be proud of. Uh, it, it is not a job that a lot of people will want because it is going to be such a, a, a tough thing to do. Um, and in between then, there's probably not a huge amount of um, T20 cricket of any high standard to be played. So, you know, they've got a very, very tough job and it's going to be interesting to watch and see how it develops. Well, they have got a five uh, series T20 series against England in January. Yes, I mean, that, that, that's a time where they would be able to look at players and, and see whether, you know, they're, they're capable of doing it at the international level. But I, I would have hoped that going into a World Cup year, because that's in 2022, going into a World Cup year, um, you would not have to try and find out whether you've got the players. I think the year of a World Cup, you know, you should have those players bedded down and then the case of just giving them more competition. Um, but come January, I think we will be putting players on the path that we are hoping will perform well in those five um, T20 matches and then give the West Indies a basis to build on. But, you know, that's to come. You don't know what's going to happen. So you've got to wait to see. Well, thank you for your thoughts on the T20 World Cup. I, I did put a call out for questions and I did get one question. It's not actually related to the World Cup, but I did want to ask you the question. It's from, and it's a, a lady um, who follows the uh, the podcast um, and she's captain of the Brazilian women's cricket team, Roberta Moretti Avery. Now, the Brazilian women's cricket team are now ranked 28 in women's world cricket. And her question was, uh, to you was what was the best cricket advice you ever received and is that still relevant for your life well that's a very good question and first and foremost before i answer that question 
um, the young lady that you spoke of, I, I do know of her. I have read about her um, quite a lot. Um, I'm in touch with her CEO, Matt Featherstone, who's in charge of Brazil cricket. So I know exactly what she's doing and what they're doing um, to move the game forward um, in Brazil. Um, in terms of advice you know, that I have been given, I think the most critical part has been that you will never ever know as much about the game as you think you know. Um, there's always something to learn about the game of cricket. I have been long retired and I'm still learning now. So I think that advice that was given to me um, all those years ago still holds through now that you never know as much as you should or you want to know. Um, all through your career, you know, it's about learning and sometimes you learn from some of the most unlikely places and unlikely sources, but you must be prepared um, to listen, watch and learn. Well, thank you, Roland, and thank you, Roberta, for the question. I know I'm hoping to get Roberta on the podcast sometime in 2022, and I know they're making giant strides in Brazil, and I know they're, they're you know, professional cricketers, and I said they're certainly moving up the women's cricket rankings. Yes, Stephen, they're doing a very good job, and Roberta is very much part of that. As you know, as I said, Matt Featherstone, who is someone I know very well, and we're in touch quite a lot, they have an academy um, of full-time cricketers, male and female, in Brazil, um, who, you know, they're funded to be full-time cricketers. So, you know, the work that they're doing really is something that the ICC need to look at and help um, places like Brazil um, to become a very good associate team because internally they're doing a lot of good work. They're going to need to work help from on the um, upside, and um, I'm very, very impressed with the academy setup that they've got there and how things are going, so I wish them all the best. Well, it's particularly relevant to this podcast. We're talking about T20 cricket and the, the spread of the game across the world, and hopefully in years to come, there'll be more and more teams playing the, the T20 World Cup. Yeah, I would like to see that, but before that, what I want to see really is in the associate countries that ICC allow them to play not only T20 cricket, but a lot more longer form cricket. Because if they do that, um, they will produce better players who will then be able to adapt the T20 form. Um, obviously, it is quite easy to only try and develop T20 cricketers. But, you know, if you, de if you develop cricketers, period, you know, those cricketers, you can then adapt. As I said, Barbara Zam. Kian Williamson, those are cricket players that can play in any form of the game. You just really have to expose them to it, and they will find a way to perform. So I think the associates need to be given the opportunity to develop longer-form cricketers and not just T20 or one-day period. Right, well, we can't go without uh, asking the one final question. Is um, Can you just give us a, a scoreline for the uh, uh, Ashes series? doesn't look good for England, I'm afraid. Um, we've got Ben Stokes now, so, you know, that's going to Well, help. yes, you've got Ben Stokes, but he's, he's a, a rusty Ben Stokes. So he may um, come into his own probably after the third test, and it may be too late. I'm going to go for a 3-0 Australia win on this occasion. Um, I, I just don't feel at this point in time 
that England will really bother um, the Australian side. The Australian bowling lineup is a very strong one, and in their backyard, they're going to be very, very difficult um, to beat. They've now got some good spin options as well to go with their fast bowlers. And, you know, their batsmen will always make runs in Australia. So I'm sorry to say that, but I think England will lose this one. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. And thank you again for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. And hopefully I'll speak to you again when those ashes are over and we can uh, see whether your prediction was right. Stephen, it's a great pleasure. You know, you can always call me and um, I'm quite happy to have a chat. Yes, I'm looking forward to watching the ashes, but I think, you know, it's going to be a tough one for England. No question about that. Well, thank you again. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pav. Sports Social Podcast Network.